0: Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe.
1: Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome welcome to to the the C4SO C4SO Podcast.
0: Podcast. We are so excited to introduce today's conversation with David Taylor. We are talking with him about his book, A Body of Praise. And so this is an awesome conversation. David is delightful. He is C4SO's Scholar-in-Residence for the Arts, Media, and Culture, which is really awesome. And it's a super cool title, isn't cool it?
1: Cool title. Huh? I wish I had. That's that's a cooler <laughs> title than Bishop.
0: <laughs> yes, no, we we love it. And we are talking about him with his book mm-hmm. on the role of the body in worship. And we kind of cover a lot of material. We talk about what the church fathers say about the body, what the purpose of the body is in worship and how our bodies are God-given and God-designed and how they play a part in corporate worship, which applies to all of us who are church planters, who are clergy. And so it's a really informative conversation, uh, but it is super down to earth. Yeah, David is a wonderful conversationalist, but his book offers, I think, a really compelling argument for the importance of our bodies as a gift to God and the role that they play in worship.
1: Yeah. And one of the big takeaways for me was that if we think about it uh, outside of worship and when we talk about this with him with reference to just basic Christian spirituality is how for me and for lots of other people, we tend to think of our bodies as like our enemy in the, in the spiritual life. Like, Oh, my body's where I have hunger or sexual issues or, Mm -hmm. and so we tend to think of our bodies as these enemies in the life Mm -hmm. of the spirit. And David is so great at showing us how our bodies can become allies, both in our worship and in our discipleship.
0: Right. And they are part of what makes us human as God's yeah. designed for us. So this is a wonderful conversation. It's so delightful. And we can't wait to share with you the conversation with David Taylor. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're very excited for this episode and we're grateful for your time.
2: I'm so happy to be here. I really am.
1: And I mean it. I'm happy <laughs> to be here. Well, you should be, you know, you got a fan in Mickey she She reads your stuff with August attention to it, <laughs> you know she's a worship leader, so she she thinks about the body a little bit, so we'll get into that later. but you're with a fan, David. I mean, yeah, you know I'm a fan for a long
2: time, but <laughs> I don't know it feels a little bit like I got some pressure going on there no, <laughs> Just, uh, not blow it, okay, no, yeah. No, no. No worries. I have a lot to
0: learn. Before we get into the deeply spiritual stuff, we have some still important questions for you, David, and we would Mm -hmm. really like to know Mm -hmm. what is something that you're really good at, but then what is something you're really not good at that maybe you wish you were?
2: Okay. So what I'm really good at, if I can say this with modest, humble confidence, (laughs) is making salsas. Oh, Uh, nice. uh, Making homemade salsa. And I... For the last three years, I have been perfecting habanero salsa, which sounds like something that would scorch your mouth, but the way we do it, it actually increases the richness of flavor. Mm. uh, Even my little children like eating it, so they're not into spicy food. So So do you make green and red salsas or just red? Yeah, I make it all. Oh, wow. Look at you. Mm. Nice. So we grow our own peppers. Uh, My wife, Fader, she grows the peppers. Nice. That's, That's fun, awesome. so when you come over gypsum and salsa homemade,
0: yes, that sounds awesome,
2: yeah, so what do you really stink at that you wish you were good at? okay, I have two things one, I really would love to be a, a great ballroom dancer and i'm uh, I'm not at all, but I just I have such admiration and, and envy of people who are ballroom or you know uh like uh swing dancing I, mm. I just I, yeah. I, I love that stuff, but maybe more like closer to home. <laughs> I uh, I stink at the capacity to imagine a plan and it actually sort of coming to people that I have imagined it. It always takes longer, it's always harder and it always stresses everybody out a little bit more than we always wanted it to. So
0: Mm. So you're the dreamer. You're the
2: Well, (laughs) you know, I have sort of holy ambitions for things. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I, I am still at my tender age, still uh, <laughs> learning to uh, put more margin into my life. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that, that's something we want to get better at.
1: So, if you don't know David Taylor, he's a lot of things. He's a professor at Fuller, and we'll, we'll put a proper bio in the show notes and stuff. David and I have been working together for, I don't know, it feels like four or five years, David, with you being C4SO's scholar in residence.
0: So fancy. Nobody
1: else gets that title, yeah. only David Taylor. Scholar <laughs> in Residence for Arts, Media, and Culture. And basically when I asked David to do this, it's because had Mickey asked me what am I really bad at, I would say I'm really bad <laughs> at being cool. Oh. And I needed somebody oh, I who see. had a cool factor. And oh. I knew that David was not only smart, but that he had a cool factor oh, and oh. that he could help C4SO at the <laughs> intersection of culture, media, and arts. No pressure, David. but
2: No, and like that title is like being an aristocrat. Uh, yeah
1: no wealth it uh, sounds like a title you should have in new york city or something right I know. In a think tank
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, so i amazing. i work for ira glass <laughs> yeah yeah so
1: david tell us though give us a bit of your journey not like your resume but give it give yeah. our listeners a bit of your journey into the intersection of theology and arts like that mm-hmm. everybody doesn't go there how'd you find yourself there
2: Yes. So I was born and raised overseas in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. missionary kid. Uh, And my parents put us, uh, my sisters and myself, into an Austrian, a private Austrian school. So it was, we spoke English at home, Spanish with friends, German at school. And so, so from a very early age, we inhabited these multicultural contexts. And so I think all of us we you know, in our formative years, discovering how different things related to each other. And then mm-hmm. into our adult years, I think we're all naturally wired to want to integrate, find hybrid or amphibious spaces to be very much like home spaces. University of Texas, where I did my uh, college, studied international relations because I was interested in, you know, sort of how multiple worlds could be held together in the State Department. But I ended up going to Regent College up in Vancouver, British Columbia, e- even though I did, I did a master's in theology to teach in the new Testament. All of my papers were beginning to explore the intersection with the arts. Um, and then the first summer after my f- first year of seminary, I flew back to Austin and did an internship at a church called Hope Chapel where the pastor, the senior pastor asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I'd love to try to teach an adult education class and then explore the place of the arts. So four summers, I would return to Austin and continue exploring the Place of the Arts. And then January 2001 came full time. And so I served there for about 10 years exploring the Place of the Arts within the worship and mission of the church. And then did my PhD at Duke. And so that's where, you know, more uh, academically exploring the intersection. And I've been at Fuller nine years now.
1: So that explains a lot about you, David, the fact that this wasn't for you just
2: an intellectual pursuit
1: in the academy, but that you were simultaneously working it out on the ground, as we say, in a local church. So as you reflect on that now, Mm -hmm. uh, how do you suppose that was so important? For me or for the congregation? No, for you, having those things alive together, like the life of your mind and then the life of a pastor in a
2: church. Yes, yes. Well, I mean... (laughs) I guess you could say, at a very fundamental level, I do feel called you know, to this twin vocation: mm-hmm. uh, a scholar p- priest, the 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 pastor, theologian. And uh, I, I, what I want is for both of these worlds to not just inform each other, but to demand something of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that w- while my primary occupation is as an academic, and I teach systematic theology, and I teach other kinds of courses like a theology of beauty. Social formation type courses, I am very committed on a weekly basis, or at the very least on Sundays, to continue to serve in whatever it may be. And that rootedness, that sort of grounding in the life of the congregation, will have a feedback effect, Um, not just as sources of illustration, but actually modes within which I will actually teach theology or think about writing. You know, about the intersection between theology and the arts. So for me, the ideal is that there really is like a feedback mechanism. Yeah. um, Yeah,
1: Mickey's going to get us in your book in a minute, but I uh, hearing you talk makes me think I should let you brag a little bit here. Uh, uh, First of all, about Bono. And then, yes. then I, I assume you and Mako cross paths occasionally because of the fuller things. Yeah. So uh, so it, I'm, I'm joking when I say I let you drop a couple of names, but they're fun to drop. But as you were talking, I thought of people like them who come at it like from the opposite side, mm-hmm. so to speak. They come at this from art as artists. Mm-hmm. So apart from the fun of just dropping names, just talk a bit about why people like that are important to the kind of work you're doing.
2: Well, I mean, Bono and Mach are two people that would be known by larger numbers yeah. of people, but there are many others. And I travel on a regular basis and I meet artists on a regular basis. And there are many who want to be deeply reflective about mm-hmm. um, their faith and their craft and are wanting to think theologically yeah. about their work and not not so much, again, in terms of uh, sort of crude illustrative ways you know i have an idea about jesus or the spirit and then i'm gonna show it Mm -hmm. but it's more like um inhabiting an ecosystem that it just you know like if you inhabit a tropical ecology then tropical flora will Mm -hmm. emerge yeah and so i think one of the hopes that i have with students of mine who are artists Is that they would be so deeply immersed in the Trinitarian fabric of this world, of this cosmos, um, that they would have a deep, profound, clear-headed understanding of the Trinity um, that would inform every aspect of their their life and work. Some of that will hopefully, ideally, show up more more in indirect and allusive kinds of ways, um, rather than maybe direct, explicit ways. Um, but but a sense that the, the good news of the gospel the good news of the god who reveals himself to us it, it, you know as a trinity of persons offers sort of infinite generativity for mm-hmm. artists, wherever they may find themselves so bon and mako are two people that are older they're in their 60s and they have had a chance you know to, to yeah. spend decades reflecting and reading their readers are active readers and and you see you know a, a direct and indirect sort of yeah. of of the thoughtfulness of their faith show up in their work
1: so i hear you saying they're icons of something that is really important that happens in and through the church of people who are just less famous but that the less famous are really important to the life of the church
2: yeah and i think maybe the other thing like like with bono i think is very impressive and, and i think um To be emulated is the integrity with which he has lived his life as a person, as a married man, as a father, as a friend, that he has not all things being equal, sacrificed his family or his soul on the altar of work or success. And then has... Felt a certain freedom, uh, which is an extraordinary thing in, in in the world that he occupies, to talk about his faith, talk about Jesus in yeah. explicit and unapologetic, uncynical ways. Yeah. Um. But also recognizing that God has called them to the very specific context. And those would be very different from Mako's and those will be mm-hmm. different from maybe, you know, iconographers. Right. So our context may be what they may be, but we can still find the fruit of... You know our relationship with jesus play itself out at the relational level which for me is very very fundamental and i underscore that to my students but also mm-hmm. that it um yeah the richness of the christian faith the richness of the christian tradition the richness of holy scripture would just seep itself and then again just show up in all kinds of marvelous and often unexpected ways yeah mm. yeah nice thank you david yeah mm-hmm. that's
0: wonderful So David, let's talk about A Body of Praise, Understanding the Role of Our Physical Bodies in Worship. Before we kind of get into some of these technical questions about the book, we just really wanted to hear your heart behind it and just kind of simply ask, why did you write this book and Mm -hmm. why now? And surely your own journey to understanding the role in the body in Christian spirituality had Mm -hmm. a lot to do with it. So we'd just love to hear from you.
2: Yeah, well, I think at one level, when I was in college and seminary, I began exploring my own artistic interests, uh, which were mainly theater-oriented. And in as much as, well, in my case, you know, theater, but any of the arts are fundamentally material mm. things and material exercises, yeah. can't escape the material sensory world. Uh, when you're an artist and then realizing that the, the resistance that you may encounter in Christian communities will range So different reasons why people may not like different kinds of arts or different expressions of the arts, but kind of at the core would be sort of an ambivalence at best or a worry at worst about the materiality that the material somehow will you yeah. sort of draw us into forces of sin and distortion and perversions of the gospel and our faith. So there's that stuff, you know, haunted me throughout the nineties, but then my teaching thesis that I wrote with uh, one of the new Testament scholars at Regent college was exploring the theological significance of Jesus's healing miracles. You know, hmm. A lot of the sort of Common thinking in popular circles and, and sometimes in certain scholarly circles is the miracles are uh, attesting to Christ's divinity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It is, uh, but I think obviously much more is going on. And so I became very fascinated by how it is that Jesus's miracles of healing. Um, are, are, are doing some kind of multi-layer theological work that's tapping into new Exodus and new creation language mm. from, from yeah. Isaiah and then hearkening all the way back, obviously, to Genesis. But also, you know, anticipating sort of the renewal of all things in the new creation. And uh, I, I absolutely love that work. Uh, I never tired of the research. And then I found myself, you know, turning it in into my supervisor and then thinking, gosh, there's so much more that I'd like to explore. That was in, in 99, 2000. And ever since then, you know, 25 some years later, everything that I've written, I keep returning to the physicality of things, mm. the material nature of things. So my dissertation at Duke was exploring John Calvin's theology of the physical world and discovering in his theology of the Eucharist, this very robust, positive estimation of the materiality of Christ's own body and of the materiality of the body and blood that we partake in the elements. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then discovering, you know, after all these years of thinking and writing, a vision for the, the, the material universe, for our material lives, uh, culturally speaking, and for our physical bodies, that bore no resemblance to the world that i was reared in ecclesially speaking
1: Mm. the
2: body was again at best a neutral thing that you just shuffle around yeah worse it is something to be feared because it is going to somehow by its very nature it's going to pervert you know our ability to love god and to worship god faithfully so it was something to be feared mistrusted suppressed transcended, tortured, tamed, you know, all all, you know, variations on the theme of that and then discovering, oh gosh, there's something better on offer for us. That is truly deeply good news for everyone because we are all bodily.
0: <laughs> right,
2: right. So yeah, that's kind of what um I I think sort of the the family tree as it were of thinking and writing.
1: So David, let's talk about just a couple of things that are a bit technical but that I I think we need to get to. And I I know you know how to talk about these in down-to-earth terms. But thinking of the body, I think, raises the question for at least a lot of our listeners, what does the phrase biblical anthropology mean?
2: And why is it important? It means that our study... Of holy scripture old testament and new testament done analytically and synthetically that is deep dives and then across the landscape you know mm-hmm. textual and intertextual kinds of study discerning the resonances uh places of continuity discontinuity between the different you know sort of salient texts genesis psalms you know the prophetic literature right. the yeah. and so on pauline how it is that they present to us a vision of what it means to be human more specifically, you encounter sort of these constituent parts that church history has struggled to hold together in an integral way. Uh, so you have the language of soul, spirit, heart, will, mind, body, those kinds mm-hmm. of right. – and they all show up in different ways. They show up in the mm-hmm. Hebrew, they show up in the Greek. And so the sort of the unfortunate fact of church history is that one of those in a certain sort of period of history or a particular sort of theological tradition will get made central and the others will get made secondary or will get made sort of, they'll be kicked off the Island altogether. Mm -hmm. And so I think biblical anthropology is helping us understand what it means to be human with respect to these ideas and this kind of vocabulary that, as I argue in the book, um, helps us understand how, every aspect of our humanity is irreducible and unbifurcatable, Mm. Mm. un-extractable. And so I, I think quite a number of biblical scholars do really good work on this account. Tom Wright, you know, is one of the many who does good work. And one of the points that he makes, which I think I mentioned at some point in the book is that, Each of these facets of our humanity, as the biblical writers, you know, narrate or describe or explain it, is simply like as if the, the film camera is angled and looking at one thing. And so it's like humanity from the perspective of our heart is like the camera is like looking at the world from this deep center of our being. Yeah. Whereas like the body is just another site for the trueness of our humanity. They're not an oppositional, antithetical relationship to each other, the so-called faculties. They're all essential um, features of our humanity, which is why I do a little bit of a deep dive on two biblical texts that have been proven sort of challenging in various ways. And that's Genesis 1, the image of God. Um, and in many ways, historically, sort of Christians have assumed or concluded the image of God is primarily all the invisible, immaterial stuff and the material Right. Yeah. add on. Um, so I try to argue against that. And then the language of flesh versus uh, body that we show up, it shows up in the epistles. And then the language of John four, that uh, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, that the kind of worship that the father seeks is in spirit and truth. Right. And I I actually argue that at length in the book against sort of a, a, a presumed conclusion that 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 exchange or that statement is talking about. At the invisible, immaterial center of ourselves, mm-hmm. the sincerity of our worship, the the truthiness, <laughs> the right. rational right. truthiness mm-hmm. of our worship, and I argue, you no, know, it actually has nothing to do with that. And that, while John four really actually is agnostic about the physical shape of worship. Uh, the whole of the Gospel of John is pro physical, pro material. Yeah, uh, yes. and 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 even more sort of astounding, the Holy Spirit is the author of all flesh coming alive with sort of a Jesus like radiance.
1: So s- similarly, you know, people hear this word ontology and aren't quite sure what to do with it, the, the nature of being and how body fits into that. So give us just a couple of sentences on ontology and and um, the nature of what it means to be human.
2: Uh, there, there is no version of being human that isn't bodily in some sense. Right. Now That may sound like a very exciting, attractive statement that many hearers would say. Yes. It just gets a little bit tricky once we talk about the intermediate state between death mm-hmm. and the new creation. What happens then? And yeah. so I, I'm going to bracket that out. <laughs> Please. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll have you back. We'll yeah, have you back for eschatology. <laughs> really adventurous territory. Yeah. But I think one of the things you know that I, I, I try to convey to the readers is that we should take our body seriously because God Himself takes them seriously at the beginning, takes them seriously at the end, and offering us, you know, the promise of resurrected bodies. At the very center stands the incarnate One, whose body defines all bodies. Uh, history's uh, Israel's history is a kinetically maximalist uh, liturgical and ethical life, and all throughout the epistles, you have this constant drumbeat uh, underscoring the the metaphysical goodness of our bodies, and it is. And, and and I talk about our bodies as temple, and it's funny. I, I, I've I've had conversations with folks in recent weeks, who have all said the same things that they grew up in traditions where the language of our bodies as a temple was always and exclusively related to don't do's. Yeah, you know, don't smoke, mm-hmm. don't have sex, that kind of stuff. Which is fine. I mean, <laughs> that comes into play at some level. But I think what I'm trying to commend to readers is something much more deeply satisfying, which is to say that our bodies are these ambulatory tabernacles uh, that carry around the goodness of yeah. grace and life and holiness of jesus everywhere we go um so we are ourselves these sacramental sites for the life of jesus to play itself out and there is no other way for our, the life of jesus to play itself out except through a, an embodied sort of manifestation or a mode and, and some would say why well, are our, our thoughts invisible and are our, our emotions invisible and i would say in a manner of speaking they are but our thoughts are are, <laughs> are 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 things that originate out of our brains, right. and our emotions have a bodily basis, and our wills have a bodily basis. Our, you know, um, all of it has a bodily basis. So I think you know those are the kinds of things that I, I hope you know readers leave with sort of this sense of wonder, and which is where I end the whole book is yeah. at the end of all this thinking and you know exploration. What, what's the point of it all? Right. I hope it's wonder, just endless wonder. Uh, it, like the magnificence of what we are as, as creatures, yeah. the magnificence of what, what each other is as embodied creatures, but also, you know, the, the magnificence of Jesus himself and his own body.
0: Hey, hey, I'm from is my name.
1: Saludos. My name is Jonathan Kinberg. And we want to together invite you to our second annual Diaspora Network Conference. Our theme this year is Mutuality and Mission. What does it look like for immigrants and the broader North American church to really partner
0: together? The conference will be on July 28th and 29th in Austin, Texas, and it's for immigrants and leaders from C4SO who want to partner with the nations here. See you soon.
1: So if you're sitting next to somebody on an airplane, David, and they asked you, well, what is the purpose of the body?
2: And creative intention. Uh, we have bodies because our bodies are our creaturely homes. Mm. It, it, it is the natural God-given, God-designed, God-graced home uh, for what it means to be human. Uh, that's what it means to be made, I suggest, in the book. To be made in the image of God is to be creaturely. Uh, and it is through our creatureliness, our creaturely humanity that we bear out the divine image. Uh, it is through our bodies that we fulfill the so-called creation mandate. The Great Commission is a bodily endeavor. Uh, it is how we receive and give the love of God. I mean, you name <laughs> any good aspect of the kingdom of God and it gets routed through our bodies. Uh, and and, and the, the final promise is new bodies, new bodies right. yeah. uh, that have been designed and inhabited um, by the Holy Spirit, and so you know mm-hmm. it is a spirited body, capital S, uh, that is at that point capable of fulfilling our original purposes and then some. So it's not a return to Eden. It is. It is always it always has sort of this teleological, eschatological orientation. You're going to something greater and more fantastical than we could uh, really actually imagine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there is no version of the gospel or the Christian life um, that doesn't have a bodily dimension because Mm, we are first, uh, first and last and the very center of all things, bodily creatures, because God wills it, delights. Mm. It It gives him immense pleasure to make us these kinds of creatures of organic biological matter. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank
0: you, David. Yeah. Kind of in light of this understanding that our bodies are God-given, God-designed, and with purpose, when we're thinking in terms of corporate worship, which is kind of the framework that we're operating in, for our listeners, who many of them are clergy, many of them are in pastoral ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, many of us are trying to figure out how to do ministry and what church looks like in different contexts, um, do our bodies really matter in corporate worship, what's the interaction between our bodies and what we do when we gather together as the body of Christ to worship?
2: Do our bodies matter? Uh, Gosh, I hope the answer is uh, yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the thoughts that comes to mind with that question, and I'm not supposing that you, Mickey, are are thinking this, but I can imagine that maybe in some instances, let's just say our, our wonderful lay people might ask that question, And I would wonder to myself whether behind that question is the, is an assumption Mm -hmm. that the reason why that question actually needs to be asked is because we assume that our bodies are secondary or separable to our humanity, to our worship. Um, and what really matters is sort of the quality and, you know, uh, in intentional purity of our souls of our minds and our hearts. So that's or really- like our
1: sincerity or something.
2: Yeah. Sincerity. Yeah, wh- yeah. Whatever, you know, however we may sort of qualify, um, the nature of our worship. Uh, so I, I, I try to argue against that idea that the, the purpose of the body is not to get out of the way, mm. uh, so that the heart and the mind can get on with, you know, the proper business of worshiping God. But, Our bodies have been given to us so that uh, we can offer our whole selves to God, which is, uh, I think, a fundamental good uh, for having our bodies. But uh, the purpose of the body is to offer to God what must be offered. Uh, Nothing gets left on the cutting room floor. Uh, All our senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, all of it has been called by God, graced by God, judged by God at the cross, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, raised to new life by the Holy Spirit. And we have foretaste of that new life even now. I argue that our bodies need to be about the business of doing what bodies are supposed to be doing because we're commanded to worship God with our bodies. Our bodies need to worship God and we get to worship God. Right. So we can just start with that first one. Our bodies are not a property. Uh, they're not a possession They're not something that we trademark. I don't get to do whatever I want with my body. My body is not mine to do with as I please, when I please, how I please it. My body belongs to Christ's flesh. So that by itself (laughs) should sort of be a compelling reason. Beyond that, our bodies are a gift uh, that we are to steward. They're a gift that is given to us in love, and we offer them back in love. It is with our bodies that we can harm or hurt others, that we can detract distort uh people from the gospels or we can draw winsomely attract people um our bodies can be sites for healing uh sites for care uh they can train us in christ likeness as i argue all throughout all throughout the book so all all kinds of things obviously the whole book is like the answer to your question (laughs) but i guess mickey if i can ask you back a question which you do not know that in advance and i'm going to ask you do it what do you think is actually sort of like the sticking point uh, or the places of ignorance? sort of like in, in sort of the at best just sort of ignorance um, yeah. at worst, just like where do you think people have wrong thinking about this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as you're answering this, I was thinking, you know, another the reason that we bring this up and we really wanted to talk about the topic of this book is because I think a lot of folks have this misunderstanding that you show up to church and our bodies have nothing to do with what's going on right. um, we don't realize that th- there's an exchange we worship it's, with our bodies right. it's uh, there's a reason why we gather right okay. and and a lot of folks would say like the soul is the most important part right. of being right. human or right. you know the mind or and you touched on this a little earlier but there's this separation of what we believe makes us human but you right. argue that actually our bodies really do matter Mm -hmm. in this idea of what makes us human and so i think that a lot of folks don't totally understand and i've Mm -hmm. been guilty of this as well Mm -hmm. you know at an earlier point in my faith journey is that when we come to worship when we gather with the body of christ we don't just come in to consume or take in a show um, Mm -hmm. where we shouldn't be Mm -hmm. but rather we are worshiping communally And our bodies are a part of that. And so rather than kind of thinking of this as just a church is something I go to, if I even feel the need to go to church, Church, right? Because if all I have is my relationship with Jesus, do I really need to go to church? I've you know seen a lot of that. And so, yeah, I think this challenges the way that we think about our bodies and how they are involved in the worship of the Lord. If that makes sense. Yeah, you
2: know, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I argue this in every which way I can imagine that I hope persuade somebody on the other side of it. But one of the beautiful gifts that our bodies offer to us is they actually play a very active decisive role in healing our lives. And and if you've ever been to therapy, uh if you've ever been to physical therapy, occupational therapy, normal therapy art therapy musical Mm -hmm. therapy they will all tell you the same thing that it is in as much as we do certain things with our bodies that the healing will begin occurring in our emotional lives or Mm -hmm. our mental lives that it is the trauma embeds itself you know uh, at every level of our humanity including our bodies and we bring to bodies uh, we bring bodies to worship that have been you know in some cases scarred by touch or starved of touch Mm -hmm. and worship is a place where our bodies can actively participate in Jesus's healing of our, our lives. And so in as much as like, you may have trauma in your body and then that affects how you think about yourself or how you think about others. It affects how you feel about God, that our bodies can play this active reconstructive, you know, Regenerative, reformative—you know, whatever word you want to use—of of, recalibrating, uh, putting things back into place. Mm-hmm. Um, and every good therapist will tell you that. And one of the points I make in the book is a lot of the language that Jesus uses, which our trans, English translations use the language of Jesus saving, but the original Greek is "therapeuo." That when He mm-hmm. saves, He's healing them, He's restoring them, He's putting things back into the places where they, you know, properly belong. And so our bodies are part of that good work of uh, restoring us to our true humanity. Uh, They play a role besides the fact that we're just commanded. uh, It's like, raise your hands. It's, it's not negotiation language, but it's not an imposition either. It's like, it's what this cosmos, (laughs) all of creation is already at praise. Human beings are the only ones, the only creature in the entire cosmos that can choose to say no. Mm -hmm. And so our bodies are 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 hardwired to want and need to join in all of creation's praise. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that we can do that in prescriptive fashion or spontaneous fashion to join, you know, in, in all of creation's praise.
0: I'm so grateful for this book because in my mind, you know, as a worship leader, I'm like, I the body matters, you know, and during worship, and and we should feel compelled to respond in a bodily way when we're, mm-hmm. you know, praising our God. But I'm grateful for this book because it gives, uh, almost the the words to something I've been trying to put my finger on. Right, it does matter. And there is a difference when we allow ourselves to respond to right. God's goodness, just like when we mourn or lament, we fast. That's a bodily response. Um, right. We cry. Right. That's a bodily response. Right. So, yeah. How does that what does that look like in corporate worship? And so, right. yeah, the, this book, I think, is a gift because it gives us those of us who are kind of thinking this through right. the argument and the <laughs> just the language to describe. Right. right. This
2: sense well, I, I appreciate you saying that because I haven't mentioned this yet in any conversations that I've, I've had about the book because I, this is my first time to talk to anyone. The original conception for this book was to create a very small handbook that I would be able to give to clergy in in not just our diocese, but, you know, ACNA or even beyond, I mean, Episcopal or Catholic, you know, circles, where you have people come in who come in from non so-called liturgical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You have no idea, like, why are you standing, kneeling, crossing yourself? Mm -hmm. And I started looking for like, like a little handbook, a pamphlet even. And I found some kind of, old Catholic resources, but I started emailing liturgists and people that taught liturgy. And I was like, what resources do you use? And they're like, well, we just cobble it together. Then this is about five years ago. And I thought, well, shoot, maybe I could, I could just write that because I want to help people, right. both those who are cradle and those who are brand new to understand sort of the multifaceted, you know, work. Uh, of anything, any one thing that we do with our bodies, you know, again, from the prostrate all the way to the dancing, uh, yeah. which again, some circles, liturgical cultures, dancing, spontaneous would be anathema and other liturgical circles crossing yourself or genuflecting would be anathema. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to like speak to both and to say, Hey, look, really great discipleship work happens in all of these registers of the body. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to do all of it all the time. But at least maybe here's a decent reason why you want to cultivate this uh, as at least a possibility in principle. Let's think about our bodies now in terms of discipleship. You know, being a pastor as
1: long as I have, I know that many people intuit that, wait a minute, are you kidding? My body, that's the locus of all my bad stuff, my <laughs> my appetites, my desires, my lusts, you know, food or substances or sex or whatever. Right. So give us just a quick take, assure somebody that their body can become their ally in discipleship.
2: Yeah. So one of the things I write about is how, uh, like kneeling postures or what I do with my hands in worship, whether prescriptively or, um, spontaneously, let's just take our hands. Actually. I wish to stick with that with my hands. I can actively harm another mm-hmm. and those who are victims of physical abuse. Um, I don't need to say anything else. But I can also with I can also harm others by withholding
0: mm-hmm. what
2: I do with my hands. Uh, with my spouse, with my children, with friends, mm-hmm. with people who think th- differently theologically or politically than myself, whose skin color is different than mine. And so, how can I see what happens with my hands in corporate worship as part of forming Christ-likeness in my hands, so mm-hmm. that my hands might instinctually not consciously, but instinctually become the hands of Jesus wherever they may find themselves. Hmm. So in as much as I have my hands maybe open, palms up in a posture of redemption, I would hope that 10,000 hours later or 10,000 iterations later, I might have cultivated an open-handedness to God in the rest of my life. Hmm. Or if my hands go up in a posture of affection or acclamation. That I would hope that this gesture that I do week after week may also dispose me to relinquish Hmm. all my hopes and dreams, beautiful desires, and you know that I may cling to. Yeah. In our congregation at Church of the Cross, in recent years, uh, Peter Quello had us hold hands during the Lord's uh, Prayer, and people get weird and uncomfortable. And what about visitors? And eventually, you know, the culture shifts. But I, I wonder to myself, when I hold the hands of a neighbor at my church with whom I, I, I do not see eye to eye, I'm irritated at them. I think I think they should be told off. But here it is. I'm holding their hands. And in that moment, or when I'm on the prayer team and this person comes up to me and they say, will you lay hands on me and pray for me? My hands in that moment, the Holy Spirit is doing something through my hands, to my heart, to my brain. And I mean that, like, that actually yeah. happened in the last few months. Mm-hmm. So this is a way in which my body is participating, not just as a sign, that is like it's like a stop sign that I look at and it says, go this way or that way, but it's more like a sacrament. It's like transfusing <laughs> the grace of God or transmitting the grace of God. It's right. a transfusion. Actually, a lot of the church fathers talk about that the, the body and blood of Jesus actually gets transfused, uh, or Luther talks about how, sin and and death and the devil are like a wolf that think they're going to devour um, the sheep that is in us, which is Jesus, but the sheep actually devours the wolf. And that's what happens Mm -hmm. when we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, Mm -hmm. So all these kinds of things I think can happen depending on what we're talking about with our bodies.
0: So David, one thing we really like to ask authors when we are interviewing them regarding a recent book that they've written is, you know, what a book says is one thing Mm -hmm. and, but we really like to get into the heart of what the author hopes that it will do. So, for your readers who are reading yeah. A Body of Praise, what do you hope the book is going to do? In addition to just kind of having this awestruck wonder of right. the body and what it means for our humanity, how yeah. can we how can we effectively respond to this work?
2: Gosh, if there only one good thing could come from this book, what would it be? Um, and I think I, I go back. To feeling, I don't feel anymore, and I'm very grateful I don't feel this. But I think I just felt afraid of my body. Mm. Yeah, I had an instinct that my body was good, but I I did have some you know sort of traumatic experiences when I was 13 when I moved to the states, and man, that lodged itself into my body, into my feelings and emotions. And I love sports my whole life, but kind of this visceral kind of fear. And I know I'm not the only one. Uh, People are afraid of their bodies. They hate their bodies. They're estranged from their bodies. They've been hurt in their bodies. And I, I would deeply love it if after reading this book, people experience healing and hope and life and peace and grace in their bodies as well as in, in the bodies of people and their families and communities with whom they may feel any matter of brokenness, and so if this book could contribute to healing in the life of the church, in light of all the ways that bodies you know are wounded and, uh, and wound, gosh, that would make me happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. deeply happy.
1: May it be so, David. We're grateful for it, and pray and we'll, we will join you in that prayer. Yes. May it be so, maybe so. All right, so we always like to end with something a little bit fun. So, uh, David, I was in your town uh, Sunday and Monday, didn't get to see you this time. That's and right. Then I'm then I'm back in Dallas this coming weekend, and the next weekend I'm back <laughs> at, I'm back at your church in Austin. So I, I've been spending a lot of time in Texas. So you're, you're a Texas boy. So tell us what's your favorite part of
2: Texas, and what's the part you just cannot stand? Uh well. <laughs> When I lived in Vancouver for five years, I discovered how difficult it was to get my hands on really good ingredients for Tex-Mex because yeah, totally. I worked in a Mexican restaurant and I, I love making it. But like high quality limes, really good yeah. quality tomatoes, high quality tortillas. <laughs> and you know how it is, whatever the cuisine is of of your world, freshness of ingredients, yeah. just yeah, yeah. an astronomical difference. I love it that I can go to my local Mexican grocery store, and I can get like, oh um, yeah, hundred lines for a dollar is kind of what it is, and uh, I get the best homemade corn tortillas there. I love that.
1: Yeah, if you if you say word association, Vancouver, you're not going to hear tortilla <laughs> any, any anytime soon.
2: No, no, you're <laughs> you're going to get whatever it is that's prepackaged. Yeah. I don't know. New Jersey, uh, um, and the least, the yeah. least. I mean. Gosh, how do I say this and not get into trouble? Um, <laughs> the politics of our state, um, uh, as it is for other states, perhaps, can get stressful. Yeah, I guess you could say, unfortunately, but maybe providentially, the last six years have brought to light things that were in the dark and now in the light. That's mm. hard, but that's just that's just it, it. Bums me out, kind of the political uh, anger that sometimes. Yeah trickles into the body of Christ that has sort of these Texas convictions. Uh, well, about guns. I mean, sure. I, if you're listening, <laughs> um, here we are, <laughs> by the grace of God. But yeah, th- th- those kind of like um, it, things that t- get turned into the 11th commandment. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And uh, I love the, the, the spiritedness of this state, but yeah, those things can be hard.
1: Look at you. It just shows how thoughtful you are. You're yeah. so much more thoughtful than I am. If I were you, I would have said, I hate July.
2: <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, of course. But,
1: <laughs> but you are so thoughtful. So oh, so David so Taylor, that's why we made you Scholar in Residence.
2: Scholar in Residence. It's
1: because of your thoughtfulness. I'm
2: residence. I've never been to your residence. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, that's funny. <laughs>
1: I'm a resident
2: uh, in your soul. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's
1: so great to have you, David. Thanks for giving us this time. And congratulations on the publishing of A Body of Praise. And we hope everybody will get it.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.